All right, welcome everyone to another episode of the Fierce Telecom Podcast. My name is Alejandro Pinero, your host. And like always, this week we're joined by a great guest. We're joined by Chet Patel. He's the Chief Commercial Officer and Managing Director for BT in the Americas. And we've got a lot to get through, so I'm going to cut my introduction short here and uh, allow Chet to to offer a few words of introduction as well. Chet, thanks for joining us um, and great to see you today on our podcast. Great, Alejandro. Lovely to be here. Thank you for the invitation. And yes, um, for, for BT, I'm basically responsible for everything outside of the UK, um, going to market, stimulating demand, understanding what customers want um, across the world. And also I have a nominal responsibility for BT in the Americas um, as well. So that's what I do. Um, but really, I'm I'm sort of I feel like I'm in a really privileged position. I get to speak to all the, the CIOs of some of the biggest enterprise customers in the world and understand what the biggest transformational, operational, future challenges that they have are um, and really learn from them, but also be able to put together strategies that help us help them in their situation. So that's what I'm really focused on, Alejandro. Absolutely. And I'm excited to talk to you about this today because, you know, we hear so much about the enterprise, connectivity in the enterprise, but I, I think it's key to understand really what that means, both from the telco's perspective, but also for those, uh, you know, large and small companies looking at cloudification, connectivity solutions. Um, so there's a lot to talk about there. So let's start at the top, right? What what does uh, where are we in that process of cloudification of the enterprise? Would you call it uh, already something that we are achieving certain maturity? Are we getting started? Where are we in that adoption curve broadly? I still think it's early days. If I'm perfectly honest, about less than ten percent of all the workloads have been um, put onto the cloud. Mm. Um, new ones that we create are sort of being created on the cloud to the cloud native, but many of the existing ones need a lot of heavy lifting to be to be able to, to work on the cloud. Um, they're hosted, they're old applications, they're not sort of optimized for cloud. So these applications will need to change, be upgraded and be optimized before we actually can get there. So still very early days, although we feel like a lot has been um, cloudified and it has, but it's still less than 10% of all the workloads out there. Uh, so there's a long way to go yet, Alejandro. Yeah, um, and, and I think uh, what you're saying makes total sense because we've been hearing about enterprise services for a long time, uh, and, and it's taking a little longer perhaps than, than we would have thought in the beginning to get to that adoption. I mean, you know, the, the investment is large, the complexity is, is immense, what are some of those key challenges um, that you're hearing from those CIOs in terms of uh, rolling out uh, cloud services in the enterprise? Yes, um, there's a lot of choice and choice is confusing. <laughs> um, they're unsure about the flexibility between cloud providers and even other SaaS providers. Um, and they don't want to end up creating a brand new legacy for themselves, which is going to cost them a lot of money, be inflexible that they have to migrate away from in another five to 10 years. And really, when I speak to many enterprise customers, and some have really advanced in this stage, there's some big global companies um, that have moved to the latest next generation SD-WAN type network and are cloud first um, and have good security surrounding this. But they will explain to you that their biggest mistake was they, they, they planned their cloud strategy 
and who they were going to go with for what workloads, why and how, et cetera, et cetera, and how the applications would work. Then separately, a separate department planned their network strategy about what their network's going to look like and how it's going to connect stuff together. And then thirdly, another part of the organization will plan the security strategy. And what these guys will tell you is that, you know what, it needs to be done together. It needs to be done together. Um, because effectively, your data is on the networks, which is going to cloud, but other places as well. And it needs to be secure end to end. So the customers that did this uh, one by one basically said, we did the network, then we did cloud, and then we had to go back and alter the network for cloud. And then we thought about security, then we had to alter. It takes them a long time. And actually, there's no sort of playbook of how to get this done. Um, so it's quite a difficult um, job for enterprise customers um, to master this. Uh, and our role is, from a BT perspective, is try and simplify it as much as possible, give them as much flexibility, as much choice um, as possible, but also give them an understanding of if they take certain decisions, what does that mean for the long-term future um, as well? Are they stuck with a certain technology pro provider or a cloud provider, or can they flexibly move between them? Um, so that is the secret source. And when when enterprise customers, small or large, feel more comfortable with that, then they're more willing to take the leap into it. Otherwise, it's a little bit of the unknown, and they don't know exactly um, where they're going to go. And, you know, what, you, what you're saying now reminds me of an analogy that I heard. I'm not sure if it's a good one or a bad one, but it sticks. So I guess it has some merit. Mm -hmm. That when it rains, it, you know, the rain comes from several clouds, not just the one. Yeah. Is it fair to say then that perhaps there's been quite a steep learning curve from these teams that you're talking about within the different arms of the enterprise, whether it's IT, network, et cetera, in terms of how complex really this process is? Yeah, I mean, huge amounts of learning, huge amounts of learning. And we need to really bottle that learning. And there's more learning to come, Alejandro, because we've just started, as I mentioned, we're still only 10% into it. Um, there's more to come. Little things like, how you design an application and how many clouds, public and private clouds, does this application traverse through? And the more clouds it traverses through, the higher the, the, the cost will be. And, you know, there'll be a few latency and security. You have to be, be on it with security. It just complexifies it a lot more. So, you know, you start with the application. What are we trying to achieve here? And then which cloud is it going to go to? Everybody, um. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of 99% sure that every enterprise organization will use more than one cloud, more than one of the hyperscalers. Mm -hmm. Many of them are sort of focused on a single cloud strategy, but then you ask them if they use this application, that application, the other application, and then they realize that they're actually using multiple clouds. So one of the th important things to do, and, you know, as, as an organization, is to optimize the traffic, work out where the traffic is going from and to, what priority we give it, what security wrap we give it, which cloud it goes to, and how we secure it um, and best position it to go into that cloud and out the cloud um, in an optimal, um, the lowest cost, um, the best quality, and really good security uh, type policies. That's what the, the, the trick is. Sounds quite easy, but when you're running thousands of applications and you're not actually in control of all these applications in a, in a big enterprise, it's quite difficult for them. So the first place to start is, what applications are we, are we running? Um, and what they think they're running and what they're actually running, there's probably about 80% match to it. So we start from there and then we build on from there. But really, it's like um, traffic. 
This is all like airline traffic coming in and out of big hubs, and we just need to guide it there safely, securely, and optimally. So you've mentioned security a few times already. Uh, I'd be remiss not to make you dig a little bit deeper into that point. Now, is security still a consideration? Has it been resolved? Is it uh, already implemented and we feel comfortable? I imagine it's an evolving uh, element within the the cloud structure for these enterprises. But where are we in that journey? I think the first thing to say, Alejandro, is that I'd be surprised and shocked if cybersecurity wasn't at the top of risk registers for most enterprise customers globally. Because there's there's lots of work going on in this area. There's lots of services, there's lots of applications, lots of vendors and providers, um, which is all really good. But there's still lots of vulnerability. Any little piece of outdated equipment or modem or, you know, you know uh, Wi-Fi point or whatever could be a point of vulnerability that allows somebody into your network. And if they're really, really, really determined, they're going to take advantage of that going forward. Um, the challenge we have in security is how do we secure stuff end-to-end? How do we do identity management? How do we we're clear about who has access to what and who doesn't have access to the other stuff? Complicated by all the, you know, over 100 countries now have um, data sovereignty rules. So you have to take that into consideration as well as security and create policies for doing that. It's not easy because there's not one shop, one-stop shop that does all of this for you. So you end up buying through multiple vendors. And when you look at the chart of all the vendors that are available, there are hundreds, if not thousands of them. So again, super, super confusing. And they all, um, they all sound really, really incredible. So part of the journey in what companies like mine, my, my company, BT Global, help with is understanding what the network would look like and which vendor we should go for, depending on what the customer situation is and which clouds they're going into, what the over- underlay access technology should be, whether it should be internet or MPLS, depending on how important they believe that data is, and then figuring out what the end-to-end security wrap will be. Now, obviously, clouds have security in them, but as packets are going, data packets are going in, out, and traversing across networks, we need to make sure the whole entire journey is secure, and that usually involves a number of different um, security vendors, and we sitting together their capabilities so we're secure end-to-end, and that is the complexity of it. So still a lot more to do on security, Alejandro. Sounds like it. It's giving me a headache just to try to think about that that complexity from the different layers of architecture and policy and, and whatnot. So where do these discussions on security currently sit at these companies? Um, you know, I, I imagine when you're looking at legacy hardware and, and uh, software, it, it sits at an operational level. But, you know, is this being looked at, for example, at a CXO level, at a board level? And, and should it be? I, I believe it is more so now, but it's not universal. Um, I speak to board members who are, who sort of understand security, but they're still trying to build a business case of how they should invest in it, right? Um, and it just sort of highlights to you that people are still slightly unaware of the dire consequences of brand and reputation and of, you know, your customer's data and your data and your USPs and all of that. Um, being subject to ransomware or even sort of being publicly shared or whatever. Um, so people are aware of it. So it's maturing, but there's still a lot more maturity to go. So people have a stance on it. So, for example, 
You know, boards are, are really, really good at managing governance and managing risk and managing P&Ls and managing investment strategies, et cetera, et cetera. Cyber is just as important, but it's difficult for them to measure it, really difficult for them to measure it. So we work with them and figure out what their cyber posture is by taking a look at their operations, by testing it, and then giving them a score out of five to say, hey, it's uh, it's like a 3.2 out of five for this. It's like four out of five for that and two out of five for that, which basically means this. That might be acceptable to you or it might not be acceptable to you, but you've got two or three things you can do. You could improve it, you can mitigate it, or you can just accept it. Um, whichever way you want, you've got to write that down into the into the sort of the risk register you've got and say, hey, this is what you're investing. This is what it's meant to do. But you have got vulnerabilities. They look like X, Y, and Z, but you're going to manage them as best as possible. Because nobody can sort of invest to 100% remove cyber risk, but they've got to invest enough to protect themselves on the most likely things that could happen to them. So it's a good way of going about it. And again, this is how we take boards through a journey, CXOs through a journey, because if it's measurable, it's clear, it's black and white, and they can say, let's invest more, invest less, or actually we're happy with that investment and we're happy with that score of 3.8 out of 5 in terms of our cyber posture. So that's one of the ways that we try and crack it, crack it Alejandro. Makes sense. And, you know, I, I think looking at it in that way will probably make sense to to those board members rather than look at it a very specific and practical way. So I, I think that that's a great approach. Now, Chad, I wanted to shift gears a little bit and, and talk about the different options that are out there for enterprises and the different use cases in terms of how they build connectivity. Now, uh, you know, here at Fierce, we've heard a lot about private networks, uh, how 5G can address enterprise services and, and help deliver the, the promise of connectivity to the enterprise for any number of use cases, right, from, from big to small. How How is this being built into the strategy, the connectivity and cloud strategy for enterprises? Is it side to side? Is it a completely different aspect? Or does it just add to the complexity that you were talking about earlier in terms of everyone's kind of doing their own thing and at some point it all comes together? There is a lot of complexity. Um, but it is as, as lined as it can be. So, for example, when we're figuring out and when we're helping a customer understand what the network connectivity strategy should be, um, we'll, we'll add in 5G and even private 5G. Um, we'll add in satellite if it's hard to reach areas um, or rural areas or in, in sort of countries with low connectivity. Um, and then we'll add in the usual traditional various types of broadband because people think broadband's all one flavor, and it's not. You get a consumer grade, you get a business grade, and then you can get a superior grade of broadband, and then you start getting your sort of MPLS, Ethernet-type services. So having the mix of all of that available to you and then figuring out what's most cost-effective for you but also gets the job done, i.e., you, you want the priority given to the applications and the data that you really, really value, that your company just cannot operate without. That needs to have like a almost like a toll road um, going through it. And everything else that is less important to you or not important to you can be on a little country lane. So we'll, we'll sort of design that out for them, understanding where what the applications are and where the traffic's going from and to, and then connect it to the cloud with security. So that, that's how we do it. And 5G um, will play a more a more important role, and I think satellite will as well, to be honest. So that, that may be used more and more as a backup service as well. The office I'm in now, um, we have 
um, Wi-Fi and we have 5G and we have private 5G and we use it for different applications. So if you came in as a guest, um, you'll get a, a Wi-Fi code. And when I'm speaking to you, I'll get a Wi-Fi code for something and I'll use 5G for something else. It automatically pushes it out because it recognizes who I am and knows roughly what data I'll be working on. Um, so smarter systems like that in the future are, 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 what, are what are going to prevail, but there's still a little bit of progress to try and get there. Sure. And, you know, I can imagine from BT's perspective, building those systems that you're referencing, incorporating 5G, private 5G, Wi-Fi, you guys have the know-how, right? You're a networking company. How does this work for a company that comes at it from a completely different world? So perhaps from an, a large manufacturer or whatever they might be, how does that work? And what impact does that have on their, you know, even their recruitment? You know, do they need to find people who, who can work on that? Is it outsourced? How does that work practically? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll pick on the manufacturing um, example <laughs> that you gave. I mean, we are helping some of the largest manufacturing companies in the world um, move to more digital manufacturing, which is basically factory floors, um, which are less people intensive, if there's any people on there at all, um, and are driven totally by robotics, um, driven totally by connectivity, and by data coming in and out of that um, of that of that factory or that manufacturing plant, huge change. So, from a skills, from a technology perspective, it's you, you may as well just knock that thing down and start all over again, because the configuration, the connectivity needs to be upgraded. There needs to be various forms of resilience. There needs to be physical and cybersecurity all around it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But also the people that are needed from the, the customer, the manufacturing customer, are totally different as well. They, they they have less people that are operating and more people that are coding, monitoring, and making sure um, everything's connected and things are, are working well. So these skills need to be massively developed. Reskilling is a big issue in the, the technology industry as technology sort of leaps, leaps forward. But we're we're doing a, a good example is we're we're doing a, a we have a huge demand for cyber specialists. Um, and we're reskilling a lot of our own people through a proper formal um, course, pass or fail, um, through an application process to try and reskill them to be the you know the, the cyber experts of the future to protect all of our data and all the enterprise companies. So there's a lot we can do. I think the industry is waking up to reskilling, but actually we're there's a lot more. A lot more that, that needs to be done in the next few years, to be honest, to get us to where we need to be, or else there will be a shortage of some of these skills, and that will um, mean that there's more delays to um, to get into the cloud, etc. That's fascinating, and also encouraging to hear that you know the the avenues are there for existing uh, talent to to you know progress and adapt, because uh, sometimes these reskilling, just the word reskilling, can have a negative connotation, and in a way, it can just you know be about uh, adapting to new technology and, and new circumstances. And and on that point, Chad, I, I wondered if you could. This is I don't think this is an easy question to answer, but you know, luckily I don't have to answer. I just have to ask it. <laughs> If you talk to an engineer, maybe someone who's studying engineering at the moment, and, and you're trying to talk to them about how enterprises will look in 10 to 15 years, what should they be thinking about if they want to pursue a you know a, a career in, in addressing enterprise needs through networking? What would be your, your headline advice to, to a young uh, graduate or someone who's about to be? 
It's really interesting. I was just speaking to uh, about 100 graduates in our intake just yesterday, <laughs> um, just here in, in, in London, um, and last week in, in Dallas as well. Um, I'm very excited for them, to be honest. I wish I could just turn back a clock a decade or so, um, personally, because I feel it's a really exciting time in the industry. We're just about to go through a massive transformation where all network IT system stacks, tooling, et cetera, et cetera, is being upgraded. And this is not so the business operates well. This is how the business operates now. Without these systems, without these processes, without this connectivity, um, without cloud, et cetera, et cetera, companies really can't operate anymore. They really can't. So previously, whereas the IT department used to be one big Goliath of a department um, that used to sort of monitor and make stuff happen, et cetera, et cetera, now what's going on is that the CIO and his or her department need to business partner in every part of their business. And they are developing systems, processes, um, automation, robotics, um, streamlining stuff, making it more online, et cetera, et cetera, um, across their business and their profitability, their differentiation and the success will now you know, be sort of more reliant on that than ever before. And it's only going to get more reliant. So my message to a graduate or somebody who's looking to get into this field is it's a really exciting field to get into. There's lots of stuff, cyber, network design, cloudification, uh, cloud optimization, all these things are, are sort of areas where demand is going to increase, complexity is not going to go away, and we're only less than 10% of the way through a journey. So it's going to be a good, nice, exciting career for anybody that's thinking about getting it. So I definitely, definitely would encourage them to do that. Really well. I'll be playing this clip to my four-year-old uh, so that he gets uh, gets ready to join. Uh, but maybe we'll have to extend the ten to fifteen-year time frame on that one. Uh, I think we could sit here and talk all day. We haven't even touched on on topics I know you're passionate about, like sustainability, um, you know, distributed workforce, uh, diversity in tech, but. Um, we'll have to leave that for, for the next one. Uh, Chad, thanks so much for, for joining us here at the Fierce Telecom Podcast. A pleasure to have you on. And uh, yeah, we'll have to make a, a standing appointment in, in your busy agenda to, to have you on and, and cover some of those topics as well. Alejandro, the pleasure will be mine. Thank you very much and speak to you soon. Great. And to you, listener, thank you once again for joining us this week. We hope you enjoyed that conversation. And as always, we'll be back on your feed next week with some more great interviews from the voices and the people leading the change and evolution of the telecommunications industry. Until then, thanks for joining us and take care. Bye-bye.